Pastor Xavier Reese reminding us that the battle belongs to the Lord. And so Melchizedek notice reminds Abram of the source of his victory over the enemies. Who has delivered your enemies into your hand? Who? God Most High. Abram was a vessel. He was enabled. He was sustained. He was protected. He was delivered. That's what happens in our lives as we trust Christ to work in us and through us. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The book of Proverbs reminds us, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and He adds no sorrow to it. And it's that type of decision-making that directs Pastor Xavier's study today. Let's join him in the book of Genesis for today's intriguing study titled, Glory to the Only King. When Sir Walter Raleigh spread his beautiful new cloak over the mud that Queen Elizabeth might walk dryshod, he had shrewdness enough to know that nothing is lost that is given to royalty. Indeed, in a very true sense, it is impossible really to deny oneself for our king. His return is so swift and so vastly in excess of what we give that it is the heart of self-sacrifice that he wants. Such would be the wisdom of Abraham revealed as he returns victoriously from his rescue operation of Lot and two kings had gone out to meet him. The pursuit had been long and hard. The battle could not have been easy. But Abram, his 318 trained servants, and his three allies, Anner, Eshcol, and Manry, along with every prisoner of war, were returning home with mixed emotions and exhaustion and elation. And as they approached Jerusalem, without doubt, a crowd of people were gathered to meet the returning army led by Abram, along with these two kings. And this narrative is unfolded for us here in a threefold movement. A great lesson for us as Christians regarding the things of the world and the things of God portrayed by these two kings. Let me read our passage here. It says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Kedalaim and the kings that were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men 
who went with me, Aner, Eshkol, Manri, let them take their portions. We have the reception of the two kings for Abram in verses 17 and 18. Then we have the disposition of the two kings towards Abram in verse 19 through 21. And then the third is the rejection of one of the two kings by Abram. It has a beginning, it has an end. There's a progression, an application for you and I as we read this story. Let's begin here with the reception of the two kings for, for Abram, verse 17 and 18. Notice in verse 17, the first king was the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom ruled over the very corrupt city, as you know. It was known for its acceptance of homosexuality. That's the focus of Sodom. Uh, the king had escaped from being taken prisoner when he had gone out to meet the four kings of the east at the valley of Sidon, as verse 10 told us. Uh, it was full of tar pits, and, and he escaped. Uh, the king of uh, Gomorrah was, was the same, and both of these guys escaped. Notice the king of Sodom now went out to meet Abram at the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. The king of Sodom is believed by some, as you read, that is, he's downplayed in importance by not ascribing his name to him in contrast to Melchizedek, and I agree with that. He's just given a title, but the king of Salem is given a name. He's identified personally, very important. Now, the king of Sodom is waiting with great anticipation, but maybe not as we might think, to thank Abram. Perhaps the journey by the king of Sodom coming up to Jerusalem was not so much to thank him, but rather to confront Abram due to thinking that Abraham was going to attempt to keep the people for himself. If so, his coming was more in displeasure than in delight, more in a suspicious attitude than in gratitude, more in consternation than appreciation. There's an obvious contrast in the story here. And yet Abraham was a deliverer. He was a war hero. Can't be denied. Now, the king of Sodom was the representative of the earth at this point. He will appear self-sufficient, self-absorbed, self-assertive, selfish. That's the world. Remember? <laughs> the trinity of darkness I've told you often. Me, myself, and I. Notice in verse 18, you have the second king, the king of Salem. The king of Salem was Melchizedek, who is also given the title of king of Salem. The name Melchizedek identifies this person and is made up of two words. And if you were with us in our Hebrew study, you already know that. The word Melech means king and Sedek means righteous. So this is the king of righteousness, depicting character as being one who is righteous, one who is just, one who is equitable, one who is honorable, one who has character. A complete contrast to the king of Sodom, who is the personification of corruption and immorality. Melchizedek, notice, is said to be the king of Salem, a title identifying his political position and power. The word Salem 
means peace. You get the word shalom from it. It is believed that he was king of Jerusalem because the psalmist in Psalm 76.2 ties Salem and Zion together in Jerusalem and identifies Jerusalem as Salem. Zion being the region of the Mount Zion there. So it's believed that he was the king of Jerusalem at this time. The king of Salem, Melchizedek, notice brought out bread and wine. Bread and wine are the elements of communion, eating together, being one. Whenever you ate with someone in that culture and in that time, and it still is today in a lot of the Middle Eastern countries, you become one. It's not like we, we grab a hot dog through a, a order window and we're eating it while we're down the freeway. No, when you eat somewhere else in many other cultures, it's ours. You sit, you talk, you laugh. You have five, ten courses. It's two, three hours. It's not American lifestyle. <laughs> it's a whole different thing. And you are duty-bound. You're entering into something that is one of the most intimate relationships with a person to eat with them. So it's something quite different than we understand by eating together. They, without doubt here, the bread and the wine are prophetic of the atoning work of Christ, prefigured in the celebration of the Lord's table, the communion, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 26. The bread, the body of the Lord, the wine, the blood of Christ. Notice still there in verse 18 that Melchizedek, the king of Salem, was the priest of God Most High. The second title identifies his spiritual position of mediator between God and man. Now think with me. The implication being that he knew Yahweh, the God of Abraham. The implication, secondly, is that he was there by appointment of God. This is no coincidence. Out of all the life of Abram, certain things are chosen and recorded for us. This is a watershed. Melchizedek is the first priest name in Scripture, which means that God had made himself known to others prior than to Abram. Think through it. Melchizedek was a service of God Most High, the most exalted and powerful God. Nowhere in the Old Testament could a man hold both offices of king and priest. Uzziah the king attempted it, and God struck him with leprosy in 2 Chronicles 26, 18 through 21. You were either king or priest. You didn't hold both offices. Nowhere in the Old Testament. This is the only man. He appears out of nowhere. He's gone, same way. Now, many believe Melchizedek is Jesus Christ here, what's called a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament before the incarnation. And we do have many in the, New, in the Old Testament. Later on, we're going to get uh, in chapter seven, 18 and 19, when the angels come down, three of them, one of them is God. And whenever God appears in a human form, it has to be in the Son, it's not the Father, because John 1.18 says, No one has revealed the Father except he who has descended from above, the Son. So definitely, that's a Christophany, and there's other places. We can't get into right now, we'll get sidetracked. But 
People believe that this is also Christophany. Now, it is true that the priesthood of Christ is said to be after the order of Melchizedek, as I have shared with you in Hebrews again, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 clearly indicates this. But the book of Hebrews at the same time, I think, settles the question for me at least, whether this is truly Christ or not. Now, before I go into it, if you believe it's Christ and you don't agree, fine, but listen to what I'm going to give you, okay? Doesn't mean that we're enemies, so lighten up and listen up, okay? Now, listen to Hebrews 7, 1 through 3. He says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who made Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abram gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of the days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. There's the key. But made like the Son of God remains a priest continually. There's the key. Like the Son of God. The word like or the word as are called similes. That means that you are comparing two unlike things prefaced by the words like or as, but never confusing the one for the other. Example, he ran fast like a deer or like lightning. You don't confuse the man for the lightning or the deer. They're two distinct persons, okay? In fact, the word like there in Hebrews means a model, copy, a type, a facsimile, or similar. To say that Melchizedek was Jesus is to say, and this is the cruncher, that he is both type and fulfillment. You can't. It's got to be one or the other, okay? If this is an appearance of Christ, then it can't be a type. Because every prophetic type points to the future fulfillment. And if he's a type right here, then as Hebrews says, he's a fulfillment of that type. So it can't be Christ. Remember Hebrews says it's shadows and types of things to come? Not the very thing. All the tabernacle was a type of Christ. It wasn't Christ. The prophecy spoke of Christ to come. There's shadows of things to come. Now, if you believe on the other end, hey, you're in good company with a lot of godly men. But because of the commentary on Hebrews, I believe that this is not Christ in the Old Testament. Because he is distinctly superior by priesthood, which would only be fulfilled by Christ himself. Superior to the Levitical priesthood. And so that's my reasoning behind that. Now, notice the king of Salem, Melchizedek, was a representative of heaven, a type of Jesus who would be fulfilled in the priesthood of Melchizedek then. You have a type of heaven here, a type of the earth, the world. Melchizedek was sustained by God. Melchizedek was sold out to the things of God. Melchizedek was sent by God, and Melchizedek was a servant of God at this point. And Abraham is going to have to make some choices. All of us are free to make choices. Abraham's going to have to make some choices here. There's two kings. All our choices in this life are really between two things, the world and the things of heaven. You're going to choose between the things of God and the things of the world. This is what Abraham is going to make a choice on as we move through here. Now, 
The character of the king of Sodom is an accurate picture then that represents the world system here. The world's priorities are popularity, power, pleasure, and possession or wealth. The world is not interested in the things of God. If they are, they don't want them to interfere with their lifestyle. Genesis 13, 13, it says, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. That's the principle of the world. It's sinful to the world. Romans chapter 1, read that chapter. Still goes on today. No different. The character of the king of Salem, by contrast then, Melchizedek, is a picture of being one with God in the midst of a corrupt world. We live in the world, but not of the world. All right? There's a big difference between us when we're born again. Okay? The ability to be made righteous is through repentance in Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Not because of who we are or what we've done. The ability to live a God-like life here in the sinful world that is corrupt is by the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. The new divine nature, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. By what he does in and through us. The ability to represent God in sharing the gospel to others and bringing some to salvation, pulling even some out of the fire, as Jude, verse 22 and 23 tells us. It's his doing. It's all him. Now, the choice of each person is in the place of meeting, like Abram. They occur in everyday life. Every day you and I get the test on the opportunities that come to us. When the opportunity to be dishonest presents itself to me, I have to make a choice. When the opportunity presents itself to be immoral and with a certainty that nobody will find out, when, if you tell the truth, it's going to cost you, well, maybe I don't need to say that. That's an everyday test to me. It deals with character. The reception of the two kings for Abram was impressive, but he wouldn't be able to choose both kings. Let me give it to you in modern terms. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. Notice that he moves to the disposition of the two kings towards Abram. 19 through 21. In 19, the blessing of Abram by Melchizedek comes first. Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram, the God of God most high. He belonged to God. The phrase of God marks the possessiveness. The words of Melchizedek are going to be repeated by Abram. The most exalted in might, rank, and power. There is none higher. He is it. This is the heavenly honor being bestowed on Abram. It is an allusion to Abram's name, exalted father, and later on, father of multitudes. God was going to make a nation of him. The promise of Genesis 12, 3 again. The blessing on Abram is merely a confirmation then of what God had promised to him earlier. Chapter 13, verse 16. And he will continue to do that and expand it every time progressively as we move through Genesis. Now, notice secondly, Melchizedek substantiates his authority for such high title of God Most High 
by saying, He is possessor of heaven and earth. Elohim owns heaven and earth by virtue that he created them, Genesis 1.1. The earth was made for man, and Elohim was giving to Abram the land of Canaan. The nation that would come forth from Abraham would be Israel, who would be known by all the earth till the end times. Israel is known today, even after 2,000 years of having a homeland. Interesting. Now notice, secondly, here in verse 20, the blessing of God by Melchizedek comes. First he blesses Abram. Now he blesses God. Melchizedek said, Blessed be God most high, not just because he created the heavens and the earth, El Al Yom, but for his exaltation above everything and every person. He is the highest. He is the eternal one. He is the omnipresent, all present at every place at the same time. He's omnipotent, all powerful. He's omniscient, all knowing. No one higher, no one better. That's enough to praise him. Isaiah 45, 5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me. And the repeated phrase there, topic in Isaiah from 40 on. I am God, there is no other. I've cruised up and down this universe. I've never bumped into any other God. If you bump into one, tell them to declare things before they happen so when they happen, I can declare them God. No one's ever taken him up on it. He's the only one. And so Melchizedek, notice, reminds Abram of the source of his victory over the enemies. Who has delivered your enemies into your hand? Who? God Most High. Ooh, what a reminder I have to remember all the time. God was the one that made it all possible. The word deliver is a cognate word of the word shield that appears in the first verse of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in the vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. He started thinking twice about why he attacked the kings and all oh, they're going to get me. He's my shield. There's a cognate word, same word. He was a protector. Abram was the vessel. He was enabled. He was sustained. He was protected. He was delivered. That's what happens in our lives as we trust Christ to work in us and through us. Notice Abram gave him then a tithe of all. Here's his response. He gives a tithe of all. Abram acknowledges the greatness of this man and gives him a tithe. This is the first time that tithing is mentioned in the scriptures. Notice that he was greater than the Levitical priesthood. He gives a tithe. In fact, the book of Hebrews in chapter 7, verse 5 through 10 says that Melchizedek was a greater priesthood. And in Abraham tithing to Melchizedek, Levi was actually tithing through his loins. Because Levi would come through the loins of Abraham. And Melchizedek is a greater priesthood. Amazing. We'll get the commentary in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 5 through 10. If you remember that. Now, we have difficulty with money. People always do. And we always talk about the world, but I think Christians have a harder time with money sometimes in the world. Okay? But I can tell you categorically as a pastor for 29 years and a Christian for 31, that... The church of Jesus Christ is truly a work of God because if it was for his people, 
it would never survive financially. And here's the miracle of God, that in spite of the unfaithfulness of God's people, when he has a hand on ministry, he works it out. He pays the bills. Pastor Xavier Reese and the incredible provision of God for the work of his ministry. And you can pick up a copy of today's important study, Glory to the Only King. As always, it's available on CD for just $4. And this is the perfect way to share this ministry with a friend or loved one. Now, the title to ask for once again is Glory to the Only King. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you contact us. You cannot serve God and mammon. Why not? Learn more when you tune in to the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 